thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here today. Uh, the Bible tells us clearly that the kingdom of God is not about just eating or drinking or everyday living. The kingdom of God is about faith, hope, and love and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I hope that this morning you've gotten a taste of that. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is a counselor, it's a comforter. It also convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment and is that transforming power and force within each born-again man or woman of God who's trusting in the Lordship and the cross of Jesus Christ, that transformation that helps them become more and more like Jesus Christ and like God himself. I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of James. We're in our second week in the book of James. We're in the middle of a series on uh, living generously and compassionately. And we had three weeks in Jonah. We've got three weeks in, uh, in J James, the book of James. And then several weeks in the life of Jesus with uh, this powerful J-force, Jonah, James, Jesus. And as we're considering the themes of compassion, not only in those books, but also in their lives as, uh, as well. Uh, James is, without any question, a very serious book. It has a lot of gravitas, a lot of weight. And so I want to invite you to turn with me over to James chapter 1. Didn't Jeff do a great job last week getting us started in the book of James? He gave us a great introduction and he helped us see how very practical the Bible is, the book of James in particular. In fact, it was written with just that kind of concept in, uh, in, in mind. We're going to be able to see today as we go through several of these, uh, these passages, I'm going to focus in on chapter 2 and into chapter 3. Uh, Jeff touched on several things in both in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 on partiality, about the tongue, and you'll see how many of these themes just continue to intertwine. And yet we will add something that is very, very important this morning, and that is the true nature of biblical faith. What faith really means as it's expressed in the Bible, not just in our culture or not just in our backgrounds growing up. That's really important because of how important it is and we're all justified by faith and we walk by faith, not by sight. It's really important to see what exactly that is and what it is not. Okay, let's begin reading in James chapter 1. I'd just like to start off with the very first verse. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he is actually a half-brother of of Jesus, even though he's one of the key leaders in the church, he just terms himself, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of Christ. And isn't that how all of us should think, no matter what our station in life, we're just here to serve and to give other people. And he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. They're not in Jerusalem anymore. We've probably gone about 20, 30 years into the church. And the uh, the disciples now are scattered all around that part of the world. They started with a great powerful explosion of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people baptized in one day. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, fellowship. It was just a, a powerful dynamic movement. Thousands of people can not only coming to be a part of it but being transformed and equipped to be able to go back to their nations. Well they're out in their nations now. They're scattered around and is it true that 20 or 30 30 years later, after someone is baptized into Christ, they might need a few reminders. Is that possible? It could even be that your whole church is kind of taking a little, you know, angle that is off center. 
and not in that narrow lane, but certainly it's that way because, I mean, let's face it, we, we all pretty honest with ourselves. Yeah, when you've been a Christian for a while, sometimes the bloom can come off the rose. It's been 10 years. It's been 20 years. And maybe you don't have that same focus you had when you first met Jesus Christ and were transformed and changed and born again. Everybody with me so far? Okay. So it's a very practical letter. And you'll see that James, it well, is eminently kind of bottom line, practical. And we start off in uh, one of the verses that Jeff introduced us to on, uh, you know, last week. And it's, uh, I'm going to start off actually in, you know, verse uh, 21, I think. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Good reminder? And so you're going to see a big key in this in what genuine faith is, what true religion is, what true wisdom is, is going to come when a man or a woman humbly accepts the word of God that is planted in their heart. That's the key, and you'll see these themes going throughout the book of James, both from last week and this week, true religion, genuine faith, and spiritual wisdom. Now, next week, Douglas will be preaching to us, and we want to really keep Douglas on our heart. He lost his mom a few days ago. They'll have a funeral service, a memorial service in Jacksonville. He's a great brother and a great servant. He's scheduled to be back with us to preach, and we look forward to loving up on him and putting our arms and our encouragement around him. He might even be here today. Is that right? Douglas, we love you, man, very much. You're on our heart. We're looking forward to hearing you next week. He's going to start digging into chapter 4, where we're going to get into the world, worldliness, wealth, what genuine faith, how that intersects with that theme as well. Let's let the Word of God this morning find a humble place, a receptive place in our hearts. Amen? All right, and then in verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, Remember that from last week? Well, he deceives himself. Once again, this word deluding yourself, deceiving yourself, if you think you're really right with God or really have a walk with God or you're really in relationship with God or really right with him, don't get fooled and deceived and deluded. Once again, this theme. If you consider yourself religious and don't keep a tight rein on your th tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is, what's your Bible say? Mine says worthless. Yours could say useless, it's not of any benefit to any, us or anyone else. And then he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I'm glad we got to take, have an exercise in that yesterday and in the weeks leading up, right? About True religion and caring for people that uh, don't have what we have ourselves. And in this specific case, we were focused on orphans in Africa and early childhood development and the needs of many single moms and others in a place far away in a much different standard of living, but with real needs and people just like you and me. And we, we wanted to raise a little bit of money and to raise awareness. 
And in some measure, we certainly did that. We weren't the only parade in town. We weren't the only uh, people, the only group gathering together for awareness. Uh, also yesterday, a few hours after we finished, the annual Dyke March began. It's a march dedicated to the empowerment of women in Atlanta and beyond. The Dyke March, with its focus on women, tries to create an atmosphere of inclusion and community. The march is a time to demonstrate our commitment to nurture and build a new tomorrow, united for equality and justice, and we call on all the women of Atlanta and beyond to join us as we marched, and they did, thousands, a very, uh, a very uh, significant company of people. And in an hour from now, at Piedmont Park, the, uh, the annual Pride Parade, sponsored by Delta Airlines, will take place. It's the largest Pride Festival in the Southeast, and uh, last year over 200,000 people uh, were involved downtown in those festivities. They celebrated diversity and community during the two-day Atlanta gay, lesbian, and transgender extravaganza that included live entertainment, lots of other things. Many people were there. They were raising awareness. And not just those communities, corporate America was front and center as well, all weekend. Delta, Coca-Cola, Nissan, T-Mobile, Hilton, all participating and helping sponsor the celebration. Reminding all of us that in the bottom line, it's all about the almighty dollar in so many respects. That's what was going on. What uh, surprised many people last year at these gatherings was how many babies, toddlers, and kids turned out for the Atlanta Pride celebration. They came decked out in rainbow attire and onesies reading love equals love, accompanying their moms and their dads. I'm grateful that we had some babies and children with us yesterday as well. And that we were also working as much as we could to teach them also about diversity, about compassion, about unselfishness, and love. There are a lot of competing voices in this world trying to raise awareness and trying to raise support. I'm personally thankful for every ounce of effort that we can expend as an individual, as a small group, as a family group, as a church, as a brotherhood to lift up the needs of people that are hurting and to lift up the good news of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you join with me and you will only decide that Rather than being a light that is hidden under a bushel, that you absolutely will respond to Jesus Christ and let your light shine in love. The very last verse we're going to look at today is from 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Above everything else, love one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know faith, hope, and love are... Uh, Always continue on, but the greatest of these, even there, is love. James. Okay, so we think about James. There are a lot of opinions about the book of James. It's eminently practical, isn't it? Wouldn't you call it convicting, you guys that have read it? Wouldn't you say he has a very bottom line, very specific, you know, sort of focus? It's almost like he's been reading your mail or somehow has had a video on you during the week. And he's noticing what you're saying, what you're thinking, how you're treating people, etc., etc. It is very, very practical and, uh, you know, engaging. 
People have had a lot of different opinions about it. Uh, one of the most famous religious leaders back about four or five hundred years ago, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, one of the architects of the Reformation, actually called uh, James an epistle of straw. We'll talk more about that later on. There are a lot of different opinions about this book because of its challenging and practical nature. The book of James is challenging and serious. So is Jonah, but Jonah has a little bit more entertainment value. <laughs> the book of James, we are not about the big screen here. We're not about, you know, great sound. We're not about video. We are just about opening up the Bible, you know, looking at it, bringing it into your heart, or being with a group of other, you know, people seeking God's will and hearing the word of God presented and preached. That's what the book of James is about. So I hope that uh, you'll put on your seatbelt. And how about we take a few, look at a few more verses, all right? James chapter 1. Let's keep reading, okay? Here we go. Uh, actually, right now, we're, uh, we're shifting over into James chapter 2, and we'll make our way into chapter 3 as we talk about continually true religion, genuine faith, spiritual wisdom in, uh, in the book of James, and particularly as it relates to faith. Here we go. Uh, of course, Jeff really did a beautiful job on these first few verses in talking about favoritism and prejudice, bigotry, that kind of thing, and not treating people a certain way depending on how much they're like you or what you may get out of it. But then we keep on reading and we go down now to uh, James chapter 2 and verse 14. Some of the more famous verses in the Bible. What we're going to see now is James is going to lay out this, this, um, this very, very essential concept of faith and deeds. Some call it faith or belief and works and how all of this works together in the life of a man or woman of God. You've asked the question sometimes, hey, what's more important? What you believe or the way that you live? Life or doctrine? And, you know, one, one very good answer to that is like, okay, which wing of an airplane is more important, the right wing or the left wing? You got to have both. They're both essential. This is a theme that's throughout, you know, the Bible. And um, we'll begin reading here, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? That's straightforward, isn't it? Let's talk about it. A man, woman... Perhaps you sitting there, you say, I got faith. I believe in God. I believe in Christ. Does the way that you live and the things that you do have significant bearing on that? And the, the, the rhetorical question that's asked, it seems to have a pretty obvious answer, at least to James in the book of James in the scripture. If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can that faith save him? We're talking about salvation here, yes or no? Yes. Talk about salvation, that is a sensitive area, it's an emotional area, and if we immediately go to what about my, 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 my great-grandmother and my uncle and the people over in mid-Sahara, you know, sub-Sahara Africa or the people over in China, you know, you're going to mess yourself up. Think about you. Think about your life. God can take care of everybody else. Can your faith save you? 
if it doesn't have corresponding deeds? That's the question on the table. It's an uncomfortable one sometimes. And should we just avoid it in the church of Christ? Should we just bounce over to something else? It's going to be hard to bounce over to anything in the book of James, actually, and be very comfortable because we're looking at some challenges, you know, in, uh, in our life. The issue is heaven and hell. The issue is, am I going to heaven or not? That's the issue. Jesus doesn't shrink back from it. He believes there is a paradise, a heaven. He also absolutely believes and acknowledges there is a hell or someplace that's completely separated from God. You can use whatever metaphor or illustration you want, but it's not good. And he goes on and he says, okay, related to this is this idea of compassion that we've been looking at. Verse 15, let's read it. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or without daily food. And if one of you says to him, hey, go, I wish you well, be, be warmed and filled, as one of the translations says, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Here's another question. What good is it? In the same way, you notice that? In the same way, a practical example, in the same way, faith with it by itself, if it's not accompanied by action or deeds, is dead. Everybody, are you looking at your Bible? You need to look at this. This verse we just read, verse 17, there's certainly 16 and 15 and 16, we, you know, it has an echo of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 that many of you will remember. If somebody says, I love God, actually says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a, do you remember what he says? He's a liar. He says, I love God, but I don't really love people. I don't care about, you know, I love God, I just don't care about people. I don't love them. I hate them. You know, he's a liar. Therefore, anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he's right on the row next to you, cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's the same theme. Are you looking at your Bible? I do not want us to get away from this. That all of us, at least we understand, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action and deeds, is dead. D-O-A, dead on arrival. And another illustration, he's going to go on and he's going to say this as we, if we have the courage to keep on reading. If somebody says, you have faith and I have deeds, I, I, I say, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. This is the classic criticism about many of us as Christians and claim to be Christians is that we don't have the corresponding life and you got people with all these alternative beliefs or lifestyles who seem to be caring about more people, loving more people, being more encouraging, you know, to other people and it just doesn't make sense. And so Gandhi, at a very, very sensitive time in his life when he was in London studying and then went, went, went on to another country and, and, and lived with some Christians, was very open in his autobiography, very open to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. He, as he writes in his own words, when he noticed the lukewarmness and apathy of the Christians around him, he concluded, this cannot be the one true religion. And it just illustrates it, you know, again and again. This is why we know this. This is why the Bible says there's actually more harm that happens when you have a lukewarm Christian 
you know, than somebody who's hadn't decided at all. And so we do commend those of you who, who didn't just get baptized or just come to church because it'll make your parents happier and somehow you think you, you know, you, you, you'll feel better about yourself, but you're sincere because you know, I'm not going to do it till I'm ready to live it. Amen to that. But don't wait so long. Okay, you're going to miss out on some great stuff. And hurt yourself and others in the process. Verse 19. <laughs> All right, so you believe there's a God? Great. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So we are talking about faith and belief that justifies you before Christ and yields eternal life. But we're not just talking about believing some facts about God, even good facts. Even believe in the fact that Jesus died for you. Even believe in the fact that it's only, he's the only way to, you gotta, gotta believe more than a fact. Okay? Even the devils, do they believe Jesus is resurrected from the dead? They, of course they do. They understand that, okay? But there is a, a corresponding response, actions, faith, a genuine faith, as James introduces it in James 1, that accompanies it. And so when we see our, our signs, and don't you love John 3, 16? That's an awesome scripture. And as it shows up in various venues or at uh, NFL football games or other places, for God so loved the world that uh, he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Can we all say amen to that? That's good news. But what does belief mean? Not that belief in James 2.19. Not a belief or a faith that doesn't have corresponding action that shows we have a genuine belief and faith and trust in God and genuinely allowing God to come in and influence our life. James is dealing with this because he's got to go, whoa, okay, it's been 20, 30 years here. Just got to make sure we are all set on, you know, on this point. And then he says in verse 20, are you looking there in your, in your Bible, you foolish person? Do you need more evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wow, he is hammering this territory, have you noticed? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? When we study Romans chapter 4, and we need to talk about Romans here in a minute, okay, because we got to be careful not to be swinging off to these wild extremes that get us way off. That somehow get us trusting in our works and some system of works instead of trusting in Christ alone and his work on the cross alone as far as us being justified in his eyes and having access to him and all those things. But we got to be careful that we don't swing on over and there's somehow the life that we live is, is, is marginal to that or is somehow secondary to that, or is not completely entwined in that. When you do read Romans chapter 4, and you see Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, we need to remember this verse that shows us he believed and therefore he trusted God. And he responded. He went from Ur of the Chaldees, as we know, and he, he offered. He, he, he had not just a belief that, yeah, God, you're there, you know, and I want to follow you in some way, but he trusted in him and he put his faith and confidence in him. And then verse 24, let's just hit this. Wow, this is one of the more controversial passages in the Bible over about the last, you know, 1,800 years. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Has anybody ever heard the phrase faith alone? It's a great phrase. 
properly understood, it's immensely powerful. And misunderstood, it can lead down some very treacherous paths. This verse is a verse that many people simply cannot believe is in the Bible. And it's a very challenging thing because if you're coming and you have a certain view of what faith alone means, means when you, when you find this is the only place in the Bible where that phrase is ever used, and it's used in the opposite point of view. Does that mean that we're not saved by faith alone or justified? No. We got to be just very, very careful about some of these things, okay? And this, this verse, you know, because we tend to swing to these extremes, can really mess up. James is stressing that a saving faith is a working faith. Unfortunately, many theologians, many ministers, including Martin Luther, Luther himself, misunderstood James' words and supposed they somehow contradicted the biblical teaching in Romans and other places on grace and works. And that is why at one point Luther did in fact call James an epistle of straw and not worthy of a place in the New Testament. He also excluded Jude, Hebrews, and Revelation, okay, in certain, uh, in his approach to the scriptures. So I'd like to share a little bit more about that. All right, as uh, I think Jeff helped us last week, when we, when we see some things in people that may be off, okay, and that may not really, that we may somehow, God has given us some insight where we see th- something, what we believe a little more clearly. You still got to appreciate people for what they have done and what they believe in the sacrifices they've made and the influence they've had. Martin Luther in 1521, he like courageously confessed his faith and allegiance to the Bible. He was in a medieval world, basically coming out of a medieval world where there was one kind of universal church. We know what it is. It controlled everything. And it swung way over to the fact of so much on work salvation that you actually could, could pay money or do other things to have your sins taken away and your time in purgatory, you know, either relieved or your sentence, you know, you know minimized. By paying money, by doing certain, you know, religious deeds and just so much of it was out of whack and so many, you know, abuses. And so he stood, you know, very courageously before people and he, uh, he made this statement, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, because I don't trust in either the Pope or the councils alone, it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures and my conscience is captivated to the word of God. Is that not admirable? That's admirable. And he got a lot of opposition and a lot of flack, eventually was excommunicated for that. It was a time where people valued tradition more than the Word of God. The Word of God wasn't as available, you know, via the printing press and other things that people could read and study it on their own. But he set the Bible against the religious traditions of his day. How about we do that today also? Setting the Bible against what happened to be our prevailing religious traditions of the last 100, 200, 300 years, it's very wise to do that. Luther's face was was founded on the written words of the Bible, the clear statements of what he called the Word of God. However, and this is where we get into human nature, you don't have to read very far in the writings of Martin Luther to soon find his comments about the book of James. Let me just read you one. Luther says, I will not have James in my Bible to be numbered among the true chief books. Though I would not prevent anyone from including or extolling him as he pleases. But my opinion 
is that it is not the writings of an apostle. Someday I will use James to fire my stove. And hence the phrase, the epistle of straw. Ooh, Martin Luther! Yikes! We've never done anything like that. We've never read the Bible and saw something that just was too hard for us to swallow. And it just didn't jive with our understanding or what our parents believed or what our pastor taught us or more, what our lifestyle really wanted or what we wanted to believe. We've never done that yet. And so I don't know that we, we, we tear the book out of the Bible, but have you ever ignored certain passages? Have you ever purposely just, I don't go there and read those? And Martin Luther would put these books like Hebrews and Judah just at the end of his Bible, okay? And it's kind of secondary things. Do you ever, you, you ever do that with any stuff? Passages on purity, gossip, divorce, whatever. We just don't go there. Just don't want to read them. If a friend opens the Bible with us on campus on something that's uncomfortable, something about baptism, about commitment, about conversion, about purity, about our relationship with other men and women, somebody opens up something to us on marriages or raising children or gossip or worldliness or any of those things, do we get kind of, you know, twitched on up, start twitching, kind of want to end, leave, go to another scripture? cafeteria style, going through the Bible, taking what book, what chapter, what verse that, that somehow does it for me, but I'm not willing to take the whole thing. Even some of the greatest theological minds in history are challenged with this, and so am I and you. And so this is where we got to get humbly obey the Bible. Humbly let the Word of God find a home in our heart. I can't tell you how important this is and reading history and going through this many times can really be able to help us in, uh, you know, in this. In refusing to accept uh, Luther, Roman church excommunicated to him. They responded with this thing called the Council of Trent and kind of came back and, you know, tried to refute the things that he said. And, uh, yeah, that's one thing. But then later on, they responded with torture, execution, and great sin. And so they just got rid of, they didn't defriend them off Facebook. They deheaded them because it was too threatening. This is some challenging stuff, you know, but it really, Luther is reading Romans, saw Paul, were justified by faith, you know. Some people want to say, wow, James and Paul, are they at odds? That's silliness. The book of James is not, and James is not at odds with Paul. They're antagonists, you know, uh, not, they're not antagonists facing each other with a sword. They're standing back to back because they're confronting different issues. Paul is confronting the issue of having to be a Jew or having a system of law or works that somehow you go through all of that and that gets you justified and right with God. No, it's only the cross of Jesus Christ that justifies us. That's it. That's where we get the alone part. Okay? But 
James is being able to make, you know, this point. Paul's responding to this Jewish legalism that's there. Paul is on how one is declared righteous. James is how one is shown or proved to be righteous that you've got a genuine faith. That you don't have a counterfeit version of the thing. And you've got to put this all together. And, and to live these kind of lives, if somehow you think you got this one down and you, you know you've got wisdom on this, well, you got something else you're probably wrong on anyway, okay? So just stay humble and God will show that to you. Love up on these passages in Romans and Galatians. And Ephesians that talk about, you know, God's grace and faith and, and the just and we have access. I, I spent my communion this morning in Romans chapter 5. We are justified by faith and have peace with God. And therefore we have access to him. Not based on I'm a good person and I'm being a good Jew or a good Buddhist or a good American, you know, capitalist or whatever it is. I'm a good nothing. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and his, you know, and his righteousness. But those things are written to, for a very specific reason, you know, not to somehow minimize our response to Jesus Christ. And, you know, and, and to understand what faith really is. I encourage you to read through these passages, particularly in Romans and Galatians. Just don't cut out James, okay, or a host of, a, you, you read the book of Matthew too, that'll help you as well. Yeah, we are justified by faith, not a system of law, whether it's Old Testament or our own version. We're justified by faith in his work on the cross, in Christ, his work on the cross. We're saved when we repent and are born again. Yeah, faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, Christianity alone, the scriptures alone, the word of God alone, lordship alone, it's all alone. It's all essential. The scriptures teach that we're saved and justified by faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross, that faith alone can save us. When we repent and we make Jesus the Lord of our life. James is making clear to us what saving faith is and what it is not. Now, it's just that we get uncomfortable with how strong James can be. These are some of the verses we looked at, Romans and James. Paul obviously says, hey, you know, the grace of God will teach us to, to not sin. And uh, James is going to remind you a little bit of Jesus. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Jesus was very bottom line too. And very strong on certain topics. And this is one of them. That it's not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Lord, who's, who's saved, who's right with God. But only those who do what? Who do his will. This is what he says. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus has some strong things to say as well. Yeah, James is serious. Jesus is serious. How about Matthew chapter 5, 21? If your hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is figurative. We don't have one-eyed people around here and people with missing hands, okay? It is, it's to make the point, you gotta deal with it strong, not with a Q-tip. You gotta take something out, cut it out, get serious about it. Why? He goes on to this because it's better to go into heaven with one eyeball and one hand than go to hell. Am I exaggerating? It's exactly what he says, twice. 
So Jesus understands the gravity of this kind of thing and he's making these points and it's in, in this same spirit in the book of James to make sure that we are dealing with this. Can you be compassionate and hard line at the same time? Well, you can. Just look at Jesus, just look at God. Very kind and loving with people, but very challenging with teachings and with what genuine faith really is. And then if, if you had to illustrate it any further, look at this. Look what he says in verse 26. It's amazing. We've talked about Abraham, one of the great intimidating, you know, challenging figures of history. And now we talk about a little lady named Rahab who was a prostitute. They were all saved the same way by faith and trust in God. In the same way, verse 25, Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Anybody get the general drift here? It is important to take these, take this book, take these scriptures, I may have said it in a way that was clear and helpful to you. I may not have. That's really not the important thing. What's important? You have a Bible. You can open it up. You have friends that God has led into your life. And you can dig in and wrestle with these things. So we can truly have a genuine faith. True religion. You know, and as you look in chapter 3, we'll just look at a couple of verses before we're done. Genuine spiritual wisdom. And this is all tied together. What true religion is, true faith, and what true wisdom is. And so, as we mentioned last week, we already talked about the tongue. But when you see this little section in verse 17 on wisdom, he asks the question, Who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good by his good life, by deeds done, you see this again with the humility that comes from wisdom. And if you harbor bitter envy and anger or selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you, there you have envy, selfish ambition, and there you find disorder in every vile practice. Spiritual wisdom and unspiritual wisdom. And he uses, here's how Paul puts it. We all think we got some knowledge about certain things. And he said, but the issue is not knowledge. The, the issue is love. We all possess knowledge. But what does knowledge do? Puffs you up with pride. Actually a medical term like swelling, like you're getting swollen, inflammation. It's not positive. Knowledge alone will puff you up. Okay, but love does what? It builds you up. And if you think you know something, you don't know nearly as much as you need to know. Stay humble, he's talking about. And I got to tell you, I really did appreciate the article that Jack Frederick sent in to disciples today. Okay, and it's really worth a read. And he ties in this sermon from last week and this week when we're talking about the tongue. Because he's talking about in this about the way as he watches the news some of the stuff that he, he sees and I really recommend this to you to take a look at on our website or if you've got the physical copy and how people seem to really know what the answer is to our nation's problem they really seem to know the hearts of the people that they're against and Jack went on to say he watches this stuff he says they're very smart people those who are speaking but there is guile in their hearts and their speech is more insidious and harmful than vulgarity 
vulgarity or profanity. And he said he, didn't, he doesn't even watch it anymore. And I think many of us have, have kind of gotten unplugged from some, you know, of this. Biblically, the article goes on to say, we're commanded to avoid speech, which is not upbuilding. The more important principle that should guide us is love. Disciples, watch your speech. And watch out what you watch on, listen to on TV. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, James. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> True religion. True wisdom. It's not about how smart we think we are. And how stupid we think somebody else is. It's that we're being loving. We're praying for our enemies. We're caring for people and not saying bad, ugly stuff about people. Even if we abhor some of their positions and some of the things that we do, we watch our mouth. Okay, because we're going to be a real, and we watch our heart. And we watch our prayers because true wisdom from, a God, from above, look in your Bible, it's full of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. There's another kind that comes from down there from the devil that's ungodly and unspiritual and is full of knowledge and we think we know something, but it's de devoid of humility. You know what? I think humility is a good place to end. What do you think? Above all else, how about we love each other? Everybody in here, you get a chance to warm up on each other when we're done in just a minute. And the people at work, people in our neighborhoods, people at school, people we oppose, people we shake our heads and we can't figure it out. But above all else, okay, let's love one another. What, what abides in life? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. As we keep reading the book of James, as we keep getting with each other to mentor, disciple, train, help each other, as we continue to dig into the scripture and, and, and walk with God, let's really seek to have true religion and a genuine faith and spiritual wisdom. As we humbly accept the word of God planted in our hearts, which can save us.